You are listening to WRFG Atlanta, 89.3 FM. Up next, Alternative Perspectives, Atlanta's only queer radio hour. Hold on tight. And thank you so much for joining us. You are listening to WRFG Atlanta 89.3 FM. Welcome to Alternative Perspectives. This is Atlanta's only local radio hour devoted exclusively to issues that are affecting Atlanta's queer community. I am your host, Greg Bosson. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to Sharon. Uh, for taking care of my show during the times that I am out of town, which is quite frequently uh, <clears throat> lately. Uh, it's extremely cold. I don't know if you've noticed. Uh, I wish we could do something uh, about that. I know I am. I plan on going <laughs> out of town again next week. I'm going to go to um, down to the Bahamas uh, to get some warmth. Uh, I don't like cold, I've discovered. Uh, but anyway, um, <clears throat> the opinions expressed here on our show are those of myself and my guest and do not necessarily represent the views of WRFG, its employees, board volunteers, funders, or listeners. These are my opinions and my opinions alone along with my guest. And we do have a, a pretty exciting guest tonight. I mean, it's exciting for me. Uh, her name is Monica Helms. And Monica has a long history as a trans activist. She's also served uh, in the Navy uh, for eight years. Uh, and there's a ton of stuff that she's done. Uh, she was a delegate to the Democratic National Convention in 2004. Uh, she's uh, lobbied uh, in Arizona and Georgia uh, for trans rights. Um, she is trans herself. Uh, and uh, she also is the creator of the transgender pride flag. She did this in 1999. Uh, this is one that's used all over the world. Uh, she's married to Darlene Wagner. She got married in 2016. Uh, she currently serves on the board of the Georgia ACLU and the Gilbert Baker Foundation. And we have her on the show tonight to talk about her own personal experience uh, being trans as well as this flag and how it came about. Um, pretty exciting. She also just released a biography recently uh, on her on her life. So we will talk to her. But before we get to that, news of the queer. Uh-uh. I know that's right. Oh, no, she didn't say what. So this is an exciting time for those of us that are queer. Uh, so <clears throat> last Tuesday, uh, and that would have been a week ago, um, Joe Biden signed the Respect for Marriage Act into law. So uh, today's a good day, said Biden, during a signing ceremony that took place on the White House's South Lawn. Uh, today, America takes a, another big step towards equality. The ceremony took place five days after the Respect for Marriage Act passed the U.S. House of Representatives um, with 39 Republicans voting in favor. The bill passed 
the U.S. Senate on November the 29th by a 61 to 39 vote margin. So this is uh, very exciting. And for those of you that don't know, uh, the Respect for Marriage Act, what it does, it doesn't guarantee the right to marry. What it specifically does is it states that if you are married in a state that recognizes same-sex marriage, and then you cross state lines, that new, that state that you go into must also recognize that as a marriage. All right. So um, this basically means that in order to, you know, right now at this point, uh, legally, uh, you can get married in any state in the country, but should that get shut down at some point, which is possible, um, after the Supreme Court uh, might take a look at some cases here. It's possible that that could happen. But all that would mean is that, uh, well, it's a lot, but if you wanted to get married and have it legal, uh, then you would get married in a state that recognizes it, and then you would be able to get married or to be married anywhere. Kind of crazy. Uh, It would be insane if the uh, Supreme Court uh, overturned the... uh, <clears throat> the uh, the uh, Obergefell versus Hodges decision. That's the that's the case in 2015 that affirmed the right to a same sex marriage all across this country. Um, but if somehow that gets overturned, uh, then we have this Respect for Marriage Act, which is a backstop, basically. So it's good news, um, and it is exciting. So um, congratulations to this country for taking a another step towards human rights, which is uh, all too rare these days. All right. uh, Something local here. Um, Out Georgia Business Alliance, and this happened uh, last week, um, recognized eight spotlight award winners and unveiled $35,000 in grants at this year's Community Honors Celebration uh, this happened. The celebration was on December 9th, actually, in City Hall, uh, presented by Amazon. Uh, by the way, Out Georgia Business Alliance is a nonprofit LGBTQ chamber of commerce of sorts. And the chamber, uh, uh, the chamber's annual awards event highlights LGBTQ uh, and LGBTQ allied businesses, nonprofits and leaders who bring together uh, and and who help who help the LGBT community? I'll just leave it at that. Um, <clears throat> the uh, event again was at City Hall on December the 9th. There were over 300 attendees and 15 LGBTQ vendors and performers for an impactful evening. Award winners. There were award winners uh, for the evening included Raphael Bostic as Business Leader of the Year, Pastor Candice Hardnett as Community Leader of the Year, Liliana. Bakhtaria, Bakhtari as Next Gen Leader of the Year, Thrive SS as the Nonprofit of the Year, uh, Bank of America as Corporate Ally of the Year, and Transparent Life Conversations as New Business of the Year. A couple more. Uh, the Bohemian Den as Small Business of the Year, and Miko Evans as Member of the Year. So um, they also gave out seven $5,000 grant awards to various nonprofits that are LGBTQ supported or support uh, uh, for LGBT 
TQ support, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> uh, all in one family, a uh, vision of hope, covenant house of Georgia, the I'm human foundation, thrive SS trans housing coalition and Zami. So uh, good for them. I think that's, uh, that's really cool. They had three, 300 people in the city of Atlanta uh, in the, in the, um, in uh, city hall doing this. So I think that's really cool. All right. Uh, moving on. This happened in Florida, and I just think this is hilarious. So a Florida teen, uh, this happened actually at the graduation uh, speech, and this happened earlier this year, but I just ran across it, and I thought it was hilarious. Um, A Florida teen was warned not to say gay during his high school graduation speech, and so he found a solution to this. Uh, Xander Morick's English teacher was clearly uh, doing their job because the metaphor game is on point. So the Florida senior class president uh, had been warned not to discuss his experience as a gay student during his graduation speech. Can you believe that? This You're not allowed to talk about that? It's Anyway, it's Florida. Don't say gay. Um, uh, Morick uh, is the youngest public plaintiff in the lawsuit against Florida's Don't Say Gay Bill, and organized student walkouts in March against the then-pending legislation. Ahead of his graduation, uh, Morix was called to the principal's office and informed that if he discussed his role in the case or any of his activism during the speech, his mic would be cut and the ceremony halted. So what does he do? Uh, He steps up to the podium and starts talking about not the fact that he's gay, but the fact that he has curly hair. <laughs> so he said, this is some of what he says. I must discuss in a very public part. Of, I, I'm sorry. I must discuss a very public part of my identity. This characteristic has probably become the first thing you think of when you think of me as a human being, he said. As you know, he continued, I have curly hair. Moritz removed his graduation cap to run his fingers through his locks. His peers laughed and clapped in approval. And then he goes on. I used to hate my curls. I spent mornings and nights embarrassed of them, trying desperately to straighten this part of who I am. But the daily damage of trying to fix myself became too much to endure. Uh, so um, he found a brilliant way to deliver his message, message within the school's ridiculous guidelines and uh he's going to harvard in the fall but how sad is this how how completely sad is this that this kid uh, so much more evolved uh than the people that are making the laws in the state of florida it's just it's just ridiculous it just sickens me um moving on to something else that sickens me senator mike lee wants to make it illegal to swap nudes with guys across state lines. So um, this is Senator Mike Lee of Utah. um, And he's 51 years old, has proposed two new pieces of legislation. Uh, The second piece, well, one of the, the first piece is called, this is the name of the legislation, shielding children's retinas from egregious exposure on the net or screen. And it would require adult websites to ask users their age before allowing them to access any content, which I think a lot of them already do that anyway. 
Um, not that it's going to do anything. Uh, you just simply lie about your age. Not a problem. Uh, but anyway, the second piece of legislation is called the Interstate Obscenity Definition Act. And it aims at effectively uh, banning sexually explicit content from the Internet entirely. The bill aims to do so by establishing a national definition of obscenity that could then be used to prevent porn from being shared across state lines. Lee, who voted against the Respect for Marriage Act, hopes to define obscenity as vaguely as possible. (laughs) Uh, These are some of the examples of how obscenity would be defined under this law. The average person applying contemporary community standards would find that the work taken as a whole appeals to the purient interest. So, in other words, he wants to kill the porn industry and make it so that you can't share nudes with anybody uh, in another state on Grindr. So, I mean, you know, the thing that I come back to is it's like, why are we spending time on this? Aren't there bigger fish to fry? Um, Shouldn't we be concerned about, I don't know, inflation, gas prices, the border, immigration? Sure. You know, but no, this is what we're worried about. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Oh, and then Marjorie Taylor Greene. Here's another one. Uh, Very concerned about uh, Walmart. Um, This is her post in Twitter. Uh, Walmart, many of your customers in my district are reaching out to me about sex toys being sold in your Dalton store. Uh, Dalton is a city in Georgia. Um, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is, well, we all know she's in Georgia, and she won handily her her seat again. Um, Anyway, uh, Greene tweets, they are extremely upset and absolutely horrified that sex sex toys are being sold openly right next to children's toothbrushes. This is grooming. She says, grooming, um, trying to groom kids, I guess, to be, I don't know, sex pots. I have no idea. Anyway, again, this is what our legislature is concerned about. It's ridiculous. Okay. All right. Um, one more thing, and then we'll be finished here. Uh, four gay couples, this comes out of India. Four gay couples have asked India's Supreme Court to recognize same-sex marriages setting the stage for a legal face-off with Prime Minister Modi, who in the past has refused to legalize such marriages. Um, In a historic verdict in 2018, India's top court decriminalized homosexuality by homosexuality by scrapping a colonial era ban on gay sex. Despite the 2018 ruling... Uh, same-sex marriages are still not recognized. Um, and LGBTQ community members in India still complain about the lack of accept- acceptance and discrimination against gay people in Indian society. So we'll see what happens there if, if the Supreme Court in India decides to legalize same-sex marriage. That will be, that will be awesome. That will be very exciting again. And with that, um, we will be right And now a message from our Public Affairs Bulletin Board. On Tuesday, December 27th, the Imam Jamil Action Network, in cooperation with WRFG 89.3 FM, 
will host the Freedom Fighters Film Festival in the Harlan Joy Community Room 105 of the Little Five Points Community Center. The center is located at 1083 Austin Avenue Northeast, Atlanta, Georgia 30307 at the corner of Austin and Euclid. The films to be screened are Ella Baker Speaks, The Journey to Whitehall, and The Tragic Real Life of Fannie Lou Hamer. The starting time is 6.30 p.m. Following the three films, there will be an opportunity for discussion reflecting on the Kwanzaa principles of self-determination. Parking is available behind the building, and the elevator is accessible from the parking lot. For additional information, the WRFG office number is 404-523-3471. Again, the Freedom Fighters Film Festival is Tuesday, December 27th in room 105 at 1083 Austin Avenue Northeast, 30307 at 6.30 p.m. Those of you that uh, have been living under a rock, um, that's a song that was number one in the world just like three or four months ago, I believe. It's Harry Styles, as it was. Uh, and thank you so much uh, for um, joining us. Welcome back to uh, WRFG Atlanta, 89.3 FM on your dial, streaming at WRFG.org. Uh, and you are listening. Well, first of all, my name is Greg Boston. I'm your host for Alternative Perspectives. This is Atlanta's only local radio hour devoted exclusively to issues affecting the queer community. Um, and one of the reasons why I came back with Harry Styles is because now Harry Styles is not trans, um, but he certainly is very friendly um, to the uh, queer community. Um, and his clothing uh, suggests that he is very cool with gender fluidity. I actually went to a, a, a concert in Chicago to see him. Um, it was myself and um, my partner, uh, me and Jeffrey, and 28,998 15-year-old girls. But uh, anyway, uh, he was so cool, and, and uh, somebody came out as trans during the show, and um anyway it was just it was just really neat of course there's some people think are thinking that he's basically using this whole fluidity uh gender affirming uh persona as a way of just making money and being popular but i don't i don't believe that at all but anyway so uh the point is tonight's show is really going to be focused on trans issues and uh what the person that I have on the show tonight, and I don't if you've not uh, heard her before, and actually uh, her name is Monica Helms, and I'm going to stop right now and ask you, what are your pronouns, Monica? Uh, her and she. Okay, so you are her and she. Um, so Monica is uh, an American transgender activist. Uh, she's an author. She's a veteran of the United States Navy. And she is the creator of the very first transgender pride flag back in 1999. And this is one that's used all over the world. So um, 
First of all, Monica, I am honored to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, I'm honored to be here. As well you should be. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm yeah, okay. I, I got it. So, um, so this is kind of really what I want to do. I'm going to start with, I think, something that I think everybody is really interested in. I know I am, um, which is the fact that you created the first transgender pride flag. And I'm sure that there's a story behind how that came into being. So could you share with us and the listeners how it is that that came about? And you can take as long as you want. And But just how you came to do it, first of all. And then I want to get into the specifics of your process and how you chose the colors. Okay, well, it was, uh, it's actually a fairly simple uh, story about this. I was... Uh, part of uh, Binet USA, and uh, I was having, Binet is for bisexual individuals, and I was having dinner with the person who created the bisexual pride flag, Michael Page, and Michael and I were talking, and he said, you know, the trans community could use a flag too, and I says, okay, and we discussed various things about, and he says, one thing is very important, keep it simple, because the least amount of stitches, the cheaper it is to make and the cheaper it is to sell. <clears throat> because back then, they weren't uh, silk screening flags at that time. So I said, okay. And then it was like a couple of weeks later, and I woke up from sleeping, and then, and the, the image came to me. And I go, oh, okay. So I got up and drew it out, and I said, that looks really good. and. Uh, so I contacted the people who uh, created the bisexual pride flag, uh, and um, they uh, sent me some swatches. And I, I myself and some friends uh, picked the swatches, and a week later, I had the first flag. Wow. So this came to you? You just woke up in the middle of the night with it? Yes. <laughs> I know. People don't even believe that, but it's true. Wow. Yeah, because I'm looking. So, I mean, would you say that there's a meaning besides? Because, you know, there's all this stuff online saying there's meaning behind each color. Oh, yeah, yeah, there is. Uh, well, the blue is traditional color for baby boys, and pink is traditional for baby girls. And, and, it's, white- and I should say it's a pastel. It's a pastel blue and a pastel pink color. Right. Um, and then a white color. The white in the middle is for those who are non-binary, those who are in the process of transitioning, uh, those who don't feel they have any gender whatsoever. It covers everybody that is not uh, in the binary mode, people that don't feel that they're either male or female. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty basic. There's three colors, and they're just stripes, blue, pink, white in the middle, pink, and then blue again. Yeah, now the design is such that no matter which way you fly it, it's always correct. Uh, so there's no up or upside down or nothing. And that's us signifying us finding correctness in our lives. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Well, I don't know. It does change because if you flew it vertical, you could fly it vertical or horizontal. But I guess yeah. it's that's still true. it's still it's. You know, the gay flag 
the traditional, you know, uh, gay flag, you know, reds at the top and purples at the bottom in this, in this one, I see what you mean though. Like the blues are always on the ends and the whites always in the middle. So, um, so, uh, there's no, no confusion, right? No confusion with us. Right. Although I wonder if somebody, if some, uh, uh, if there were, uh, lesbians who were upset that the pink wasn't on the end and the blue was on the well, end. I've, I've heard, I've heard all kinds of things and there's not, not a lot of, not everybody likes the flag, which, you know, Hey, that's fine. They got their own opinion, but I have seen online a, a posting where somebody has said that this is the straight person flag. Pink for boys, men, blue for uh, women, and white for uh, purity. And I would go, oh, no, these people actually thought that that's what it, what it was. Oh, that's hilarious. It is oh, hilarious. That's, that's perfect. <laughs> I think it's great. Well, it would be the blue for the boy and the pink for the girl and the white for the purity. That's yeah, exactly. That's fabulous. So it sounds to me. Because, like, everybody's using this flag all over the world. But, like, you just talk to some guy, and then you just created it. So how do you translate an idea into something that's actually actualized and used by everybody? How does that happen? Well, I didn't expect it to be used by everybody. I mean, I get this is my version of what the my uh, trans, transgender is. This mm-hmm. is and I, but I did what I started to do was take it everywhere. I took it to protests and marches and um, all kinds of places. I even had it at a, a trans man's funeral, and and just people started seeing it, and people kept asking, "Where can I get get one of these? Where can I get?" So I kept sending them to the same place, the place I got mine. And now, uh, in 2013, then. I started seeing the trans colors and the trans flag in other prides across the world. I'm going, oh my God, this is this is weird. This is strange. Uh, and I have the original one. I need to figure out how to protect it. And exactly. So then I caught, I said, well, I might as well start at the top. And I contacted the uh, Smithsonian, and just so happens they were starting to collect. Uh, LBGQ uh, items, and so they wanted my flag, and they got it. That is not on display, though, but they do have it, and they have brought it to various places and put it on display. In fact, in 2016, uh, they set it up in the White House. Wow. You know what's so funny? I'm thinking of all of the activist work that you've done, over the years, which I'd love to talk about how ironic that something this simple probably had more of a reach than any other piece of work that you've done. <laughs> it was purely just whatever. <laughs> well, that's why I wrote, that's why I wrote my autobiography that says more than just the flag, because I wanted to let people to know that I did more than just create the flag. Yeah. So yeah, it actually became it becomes something of a problem almost. Um because I'm then... adding three chapters to it now. 
my editor says that we'll put out a second edition. Oh, wow. Maybe sometime wow. the next year. All right. Um, so we're going we're gonna to take a quick break. And when we come back from the break, um, and we're speaking to Monica Helms, uh, who is a, uh, a trans activist, among other things. She's also served uh, in, the, uh, in the Navy for eight years. Um, but let's talk. I want to talk when we get back from the break a little bit more about some of the other stuff that you've done for the community. Uh, we will be right back. Hello folks, Sharon Wiggins here reminding you that I'll be hosting my own house on Sunday, December 25th. I'll be doing my annual Christmas and holiday music show and want all of you to tune in. This will be the first time I've ever done my Christmas show on Christmas Day. Make your morning special and tune in from 9 to 11 on Sunday, December 25th. Let's spend Christmas together as I play all your favorites old and new. Thanks. those of you that don't know that's a song called you say it's by lauren daigle um and it's actually a religious song i'm not religious in the least uh but i think it's a beautiful song i'm spiritual but i'm not religious i think that's what the majority of americans in this country are saying these days but anyway i think it's a cool song so i went ahead and led back to it so welcome back to uh wrfg um atlanta 89.3 fm on your red didio dial or if you're streaming wrfg.org we are um talking with monica helms the show is uh alternative perspectives and uh monica is a trans activist um and i think what i want to do yes monica created the uh first trans flag but we're not going to talk about that anymore let's talk a little bit about your history. So I want to, I'm, I'm just curious to see, first of all, where were you born and where did you grow up? Well, my father was in the air force and he was at a air force base in Sumter, South Carolina. So that's where I was born. But, uh, I, he ended up, um, in Phoenix, Arizona. And I spent a, a lot of my time there. And then, um, at age 10, he got, transferred to uh, Germany. We spent three and a half years there in Germany, and he, he ended his uh, career in the Air Force in Kansas for two years, and then we came back to the, our house in Phoenix, and I went to high school there, 
and went to junior college. And then after the Navy, I came back to Phoenix, got married, had two kids. And now my two kids have uh, four total amongst them. And uh, all boys. I don't know why why that. Uh, and there is, a, you know, I, I joined um, Sprint in 1990 to, to get a job because uh, needed something. And, and um, during my time there, I tried to get a union started. And I learned a lot of things from the AFL-CIO about how to, uh, you know, protest and, uh, and do all kinds of things. And which actually got me started on my trans uh, life. And I started my transition in 1997. And, uh, and I also, uh, after a little bit, I joined uh, with my friend to form uh, It's Time Arizona. It was a trans activist. And I, I got to lobby in con- at Congress at one time and um uh, got me started on that and uh, um you were let me if i could just interrupt for a second it's already I'm, I'm fascinated about this so i know you were in the navy um in the 70s you didn't transition um until 97 you're saying is when you started that yes okay so did you um but y- you're married to a, a are you married to a trans woman today but i wasn't back then you weren't back then okay so um i'm curious when you realized that something was off in you or like you know you 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 felt different or other or something when when did that start well i remember at age five which if you want the year 1956 okay I, i prayed to god to turn me into a girl. Now, I don't know what it was that I saw or heard, but at age five, I didn't know how to read or write. And obviously there was nothing available for me to see from other places, you know? So, uh, but I did pray to God to uh, turn me into a girl. Now, 41 years later is when I actually started transition. So I guess for God, that's probably overnight delivery. (laughs) but so you prayed to god so obviously you had a sense then but you you continued living um as a straight you know cis man um yeah i was a boy and i liked all the boy stuff and you know which they would make me a a butch lesbian if uh, you know if i started out as a girl uh and you know, I didn't mind. I liked to do all the things. And I joined the Navy because my draft number was low. So I didn't want to go to Vietnam. And uh, then I, you know, went on submarines. And and uh, submarines were one of the best things that uh, could have happened to me, even though the job itself was uh, a pain in the ass most of the time. Why? Why? What was it about uh, working in a submarine that was such such a good experience for you? Well, when you get uh, trained on submarines, you you get trained to be uh, quick thinking about things, uh, independent thinking, 
uh, you know, you have a strong will. You you have to have this stuff because you know if there's a you happen to be in a compartment that gets get, there's a fire or flooding, you got to know how to stop it right there. You know, because if you don't, you lose the whole submarine. Yeah. And so the training gets you to see things like that and and to be prepared. And that and how did that inform the rest of your life? Well, uh, I felt as a as a, a submarine sailor, I you know I had a voice in what what to to do, what to say you know what to say. Um, I had a a strong voice, and when I actually released my male person, and uh, I, I I was able to take that strong voice as as a trans woman and, and be able to use it. And uh, that's what got me started. So it gave you it gave you strength. I, it, it sounds like you have to be aggressive and decisive if you're in a if you're in a submarine because there's not a lot of room to him and haw. It sounds like you need to know what's what you're going to do and you need to execute quickly. Uh, yes, and and the fact that you know you volunteer for this. You know they don't pick you, and you have to go through lots of training, especially. I was a nuclear trained, so I worked back in the engine room. And, of course, what I like to tell people is, uh, well, yeah, I worked back in the engine room really close to the reactor, and this is what happened. Yeah. (laughs) So, no, so how, I guess I'm still wondering, because obviously at some point you made a decision to go through this transition, this was in 97 or before, I guess, when you decided, but like, were you carrying around this desire all the way from when you were five years old? Like what happened to that? Did you just. No, yeah, I didn't know anything about what it was, what it was. And, and at age 12, I started dressing, you know, in my mother's clothes cause I didn't have an older sister or nothing. And, and uh, but you know, I also, was attracted to girls. So it was sort of like kept me away from the idea that, you know, why do I want to be a girl? You know, so, so I, I like to do boy stuff. I was attracted to girls. And um, so that's how uh, it went until 1974 when I was in the Navy, I decided to start cross-dressing. And I thought that was interesting because I was able to do it uh, when I wasn't at, at sea at, on the submarine uh, in my own apartment. And uh, then I got married because, like I said, I was attracted to, to women. Uh, but I still wanted to cross-dress. And uh, so I thought that that's what I was, a cross-dresser at the time. And um, did your, did Did your wife know? Oh, yes, she did, and she wasn't very happy about it at all. And it was 1987 when a friend of mine, uh, who also was supposedly a cross-dresser, told me that she needed to transition. And she started telling me all the reasons why she needed to transition. And all the, her reasons were all the reasons in my own head, and she basically put the puzzle together. And it wow. was like, oh, okay. And it took me 10 years before I actually got the uh, ability and chance to uh, 
I had to leave my my wife and two kids in order to do it. So you was- you 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 told your wife and she said if you do this I'm done. Well, I knew she would, yeah. Yeah. And what are the reasons, would you say, that, you know, your friend gave you and then you decided for yourself? What would you say are two of the three of the biggest reasons why? I honestly don't remember any longer. I don't. (laughs) I just know. I just know that things that she said was things that were in my head and all like they were scattered pieces. And and she put them all together. Yeah. Uh, And so. I mean, one of the things is that I never uh, never felt comfortable just considering to be a cross-dresser. I felt like I needed to be this way all the time. And right. So that was part of what she said, too. And, uh, I, you know, so I had to I had to make that decision, but it took me 10 years before I did. Yeah. I, I, one thing I think about with cross-dressing because in my mind, like I'm all about deconstructing gender identity. That's like, that's been like, pri- that's like kind of my, my primary passion is I want to try and give people the ability to be the freedom who they are, no matter, you know, without regard to trying to, well, you have a penis, therefore you should. And then there's this long list of things you're supposed to do, or you have a vagina and you're supposed to do all these things. But on that list of what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman or is clothing. So it's almost like clothing and cross-dressing in a way, you know, it's, it's, it's a societal construct to a certain extent. You know, like women are supposed to wear this. So it's kind of like putting a Band-Aid on it just to wear clothes if you really want to be more than women essentially have been cross-dressing for, for decades, for, for a century where they got, they got to wear men's clothes and stuff. And, and that, you know, society accepted that. Uh, there was a, a doctor in the civil war, uh, Dr. Edwards. Uh, she, uh, she liked to dress in men's clothes back then. She even got arrested for dressing like a man. Yep. So, uh, but she she was one of those people that uh, pushed the uh, gender norms. Yeah. And uh, but men they can't look feminine looking. Oh, that's bad, 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 bad. You know, and and it's like what? You know, give me a break here. And now I ha- I know people and I've seen people and and there's a lot of people that are consider themselves male, but but they very feminine in appearance and like Billy Porter, for example, he's a prime example of the, of a person who just doesn't give a damn about gender norms. Yes. Yeah. Well, that, I just think it would give people, it gives people more freedom, but I, I, it's interesting that you say this about the difference between what society thinks about a woman dressing in men's clothes versus a man dressing in women's clothes, because there is a difference, you know, men, women can wear pants suits. It's no problem. It looks sharp, whatever, but, um, or, you know, jeans and a shirt, but, um, uh, men, there's such a backlash to it. And, um, 
to me, I think it's ultimately comes down to misogyny. I, I think it comes down to like women are considered less than. So if you're a if you're a man and you dress like a woman, then you're 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 making yourself less than, and it's to be reviled. You know, you know that, that I think that's what it comes down to for me anyway. So um, I would like to talk about the uh, the attack on trans people. Yes, yes, we have um, we have about fifteen minutes left, and I think we need to. I need, I think we need to talk. Uh, about that. Now, I looked at um, the uh, um, uh, there's a legislative tracker. It's uh, put out by Freedom for All Americans. And at this point, um, and this was I think they update this regularly. There's over 25 bills around the country that are specifically targeted, uh, targeted uh, members of the trans community. Um, A lot of them have to do with with uh, trans people in schools, um, uh, playing sports, those kind of things. I think that's what a lot of them are. But um, tell tell us a little bit about your work uh, in this area. Well, I have, to be honest with you, very little work in this area. However, my wife and I, who's also trans, is adopting a trans girl, 14-year-old trans girl, and she will be permanently in our house this this Thursday. So, and the adoption will be finalized six months later. And Darlene wanted to adopt because she didn't have any kids of her own. And she had this maternal instinct. And I am now 71 years old. And I am, and, you know, I told her when she first wanted to do this, I said, okay, I don't want to do it. But this is very important to you. You need to have this experience. So I will go through whatever process is necessary. Uh, and then in the early on, I thought, well, you know, maybe if we find a trans child, that would uh, be really nice because then we could help her through life that other trans kids don't necessarily get, you know, unless they're, mar- they're, they're uh, with uh, uh, very accepting parents. And that, you know, you get a trans kid in, in the, foster care you know that um, she's been you know been given a a boot in the family oh yeah for sure yeah there's a huge problem in the foster care community with uh 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 queer children in general but so so how were you able to find a trans kid how did that work well (laughs) we just (laughs) we just uh you know, when we reached a point where we were able to start um, ex- looking at uh, children on the defects uh, list, and, and they have a list, and um, you know, we looked through, and we, we saw all these kids, but there was, there was no trans kid. And then, uh, but, you know, we really couldn't find any that we felt comfortable with, to be honest with you. And, and uh, then this trans girl came back on she was on the list before and then she came back on the list and i'm going okay we want to we want to meet her 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 and uh so we did and we hit it off she likes us uh, we like her you know she's um uh, sarcastic and uh you know kind of uh quick-witted and i'm going ah 
a real 14 year old. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, and we just fell in love with her and she loves us too. In fact, one of the presents I got her for Christmas was a t-shirt that says, I love my transgender mom. And oh. she, she got to see it. She, that was the only present she got to open so far. And, and she, she said, Oh, I love this. <laughs> oh, that's, that's awesome. Well, I'm excited for both you and your wife. And um, ironically, it's ironic because this is not something that you necessarily wanted to do, but I'm quite sure that you're probably already happy that it's happening. And I, I am. And, and when any of these laws happen to come to Georgia, I am definitely going to be one of those people that will jump up and fight against them. Yeah. You know, there, there's laws that uh, keep trans kids uh, from from uh, getting hormone blockers, and then they all there's laws that have been put out to to uh, put doctors in in jail for helping trans kids, and uh, there's even a law in in Texas that uh, puts the parents in jail for accepting their trans child. And so, you know, you had stupid things like that. And it's like, uh, not here. It ain't going to happen here if I could fight my fight like hell to get it. Well, there's already a, um, a law that's been enacted in Georgia. It's House Bill 1084. Um, and it is an act that um, is basically designed to prevent the use of and reliance upon any curricular or training programs which advocate for certain concepts, one of which is being, I guess, the trans, trans is something that would actually, you know, is something, basically we're not allowed to say anything about it. Uh, don't say trans. Yeah, yeah, basically. So um, the I, and, 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 you know, this thing, this has always bothered me, any of these, you know, you have the don't say gay bill in Florida. Um, right. Uh, which Ron DeSantis uh, pushed pushed through and are championed. And um, these bills, uh, what happens, the end, the end result of it is, is kids like us who go to these elementary schools when we're young, we're not able to get any sort of instruction or positive reinforcement. Or even in Florida, they made the, a lot of the um, teachers had to take down the rainbow flags out of their classrooms. Um, because of this um but it just really prevents uh the queer community from getting any sort of um information or positive um you know uh, uh positive outlooks at all as it relates to their sexuality or or gender identity and it's really sad it's just awful uh that it's happening but so you've been in georgia for how long now well i moved to georgia in 2000 2000 yeah, so I've been here for quite a while now. Uh, yeah. No, I I stopped stopped following the Phoenix Suns and the and and the uh, the Phoenix teams and and got onto the on board with the uh, Georgia teams. Yeah. So well, I'm a Georgia girl. So um, I mean, I guess what would you say to somebody uh, to the rest of the queer community out there about all of these laws that are um being pushed through right now um uh well first of all why do you think that's happening now well i think that uh 
they went through all this stuff about trying to uh, uh, discriminate against uh, L- LGB people. And uh, so, and, and it's kind of backfired, at a, you know, now that Biden passed the Equality Marriage Act, that was a, a big deal. And so the thing is, trans people are still the the last minority, the ones that they can really screw up if they want to. Yep. You know, we're the ones that got targets and uh, those targets aren't going to go away until till we get uh, get our protection too. The Equality Act is is important. That needs to be passed. And uh, protection for trans kids and their parents and the the doctors that that help them need to be uh, put into effect. And um, uh, yeah, go ahead. Your your um the um your the child that you're adopting um uh does she, do they want to transition? Is this something that you would look to do at a younger age? Well, you can't do it until they can't physically translate transition until 18. Gotcha. And, and however, that we can we could uh, get hormone blockers and stop start blocking some of the uh, male. And hold on. And uh, start blocking some of the male hormones and. Uh, that that's that gets her a head start on it, and then when she turns eighteen, she can decide whether she wants any kind of surgery or whatever she wants. You know, it's a, it's a, it's up to her. You know. Do um, you think that? Um, do you think it's appropriate uh, that a child wait until eighteen before they're allowed to actually have surgical a surgical procedure? I think so. Too. It is the uh, um, organization that uh, follows transgender uh, health um, is uh, definitely recommends it. So uh, WPATH, I, I can't, I forget what, what the uh, words uh, are for that, but WPATH has, uh, have put out um, all kinds of issues. And, you know, it's, there is this possibility that a person can decide not to transition. And, you know, and, uh, and a, chi- a child may decide different uh, when they get to be 18. So, yeah. and what she would, may have surgery at all. So I don't know. What would you say to uh, those on the right that um, are up in arms about this and feel as though, you know, giving hormone blockers to somebody who's young like that is, a, you know, that's a tantamount to child abuse? Tell them, uh, mind their own damn business. <laughs> this is not your body and this is not your child. And, and, uh, you don't have a say in this, just like, uh, abortion. I don't think people should be, men should be telling women how to, uh, what to do with their bodies. Yep. And non, non-trans people should not be telling trans people what to do with their bodies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I'm, I'm amazed that you've been able to uh, adopt, and I think that's really uh, wonderful. And I hope that there are more uh, parents like you that are willing to adopt and will look at adopting trans children because it's certainly needed. 
Thank you well, so much I, for that. You know, we don't know. We, we, we've asked around my, a lot of my friends and nobody has ever heard of a trans couple adopting a trans child. And I would sure like, I, I'm sure there's somebody out there. I would like to meet them. But uh, as of now, we don't know. We, I'm sure there's trans couples that have a trans child that are there from their own biological child. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, hey, this is uh, definitely a, a new, new wrinkle. Well, I think it's a new opportunity. And once again, it looks like you're on the forefront. So um, you're the first in. So you're, you're right. There's probably others. But um, well, I, is, there, I, is there anything else you want to? Um, we're just about to end. But is there anything else you wanted everybody to know or anything you wanted to say? Well, before we let in you go? Uh, 2003, I created an organization for transgender veterans called Transgender American Veterans Association. And uh, we the primary reason was that uh, uh, veterans were not, transgender veterans were not being treated very well in, in the VA. And so it took us eight and a half years, but we did to get a directive that, that uh, tells people how, uh, VAs, how to like, help trans people. And uh, in fact, the uh, day after we, we had that, it went into effect. We had trans people emailing us and telling us that it helped. That we may have actually saved people's lives. Oh, that's wonderful! And what's the name of the website for that? Uh, the website, well, it's Transgender American Veterans Association. Okay, so we can just Google Transgender American Veterans Association. Right, and uh, they they're still in effect. In fact, they're going to be the they're going to have a twenty year anniversary next year. Uh, so, and they've been doing some really good work ever since uh, I've. I've left them. Okay. All right. But you started that as well. Yeah. I was uh, a co co-founder with my friend, wow. Angela Brightfeather, who was part of this. Well, you are inspiring to me. Um, so uh, thank you so much for coming on the show uh, and sharing a little bit about your story, Monica. Um, and um, I just appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Well, I'm, I'm honored to be here. Yeah, it's a great radio station. Yeah, WRFG is, is awesome. It's awesome. All right, that's going to do it for us and for the show. Uh, next up, we have Peach State Festival. Uh, and I hope that you have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas holiday. Because I think the next time that I hear from or that I speak to you guys will be after Christmas. Take care. 